Um, we're going to jump into uh, Acts again, Acts chapter 2, so you could start uh, turning your uh, Bibles there. As you saw in the bulletin, as Scott mentioned, this is part two. Uh, we talked last week, we started looking at the early church, and uh, we, looked, we want to look at them as um, kind of a measuring stick. Um, we, they had something, and they were on fire, they were unstoppable when it came to their Christian walk. And so we want to look at what they had, what was that secret sauce that they had, and we want to see how we're doing when we compare it to that. And so last week, if you remember, we talked about purity, the purity of their lives, and how they quickly achieved this very high level of purity and clean living and, and getting all the junk out. And if you remember, we used that illustration of the Hartzler's chocolate milk. And I think I made a lot of you really mad when I poured the pickle juice in because that's pretty much all I heard about this week. So I'm not sorry because you remember it. Although I did think Pastor Sean was about to crush me one day this week when I saw him. He tried and somehow I made it. So, but but it just seems wrong, right, to, to ruin something so great and so pure as that Hartzler's chocolate milk. And that's where they got and so this week, we want to look at their confidence, the confidence that the early church had. You cannot read through the New Testament and miss how confident these Christians were in their walk. You can't miss that they don't shy away from anything. You can't miss that they are just so outspoken, they annoy people. You can't miss it. And yet, when I look at me, when I think about the church today, I don't think I see that quite as much. And so I want to look at what made them so confident. Let's break this down. What is this confidence that they had? Because we don't just see it in the apostles. You can read through uh, even just Acts, and then and you read about Stephen and Philip and Ananias and Cornelius and Agabus and uh, all these other guys, men and women, so many unnamed people, who were doing these mighty works, signs and wonders, healings, prophecies. So it's not just them. And the best way that I can describe it is all heaven has broken loose. And so uh, things are happening. And so let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, unfortunately, we, you could, we could read so much. We're just going to stick to a few, a few verses here, a few passages. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has just come upon the believers. And uh, the people in Jerusalem are trying to figure out what's going on. There's noises, there's all sorts of languages, there's shouting, and something's going on. So Jerusalem is gathering around the believers, and they're trying to figure it out. Peter gets to stand up and address the crowd. He's right in the middle here. Listen to his tone. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Skip down to verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Do you hear the certainty in Peter's voice? This was a guy who merely weeks before had denied that he even knew Christ. And yet he's addressing a crowd of untold numbers. And the certainty in his voice, he's not pulling any punches. He's not holding anything back. In fact, he keeps digging them. You did it. You killed them, but you couldn't stop them. And his message is one of power. And he's not holding anything back. I'm going to go a little out of order. Skip over to Acts 4. Verse 7, a healing has just happened, and Peter and John were involved, and for some reason, apparently, that was a bad thing, because they got arrested. And they've been uh, bound up, and they've been brought in for questioning. Verse 7, chapter 4, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What I love about this is the fullness of Peter's answer. Now if somebody puts me in the middle of uh, old scary guys and start asking me questions about maybe a healing that just happened... And the question is, by what power, what name did this happen? My, my answer is very simple. Jesus. Period. I'm done. Uh, what happened here? Oh, Jesus happened. That's, that's all I got. I mean, that's probably what I'm going to do. You answer the question, and you're done. But no, do you, Peter goes for it. See, because the, they forgot to ask the next question. Well, what do you do with this Jesus? But Peter gave him the answer anyway. And in just a few short sentences, Peter now has invited them into the gospel. And this uh, verse 12 is one of the more famous passages in the New Testament about no other name on earth that we can be saved but Jesus. And he has now invited them in. And he has made it clear to them the full truth and not just providing a short answer and leaving it at that. I love that. I love it because that's not what I would do. But there's a full, full answer there. Let's get back to chapter 3. This is the healing that happens that kicks off this uh, inquiry. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, 
But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This was in public. See, here's how I think about this. If, if, if I was to come down and pray for Brooke here that she could walk again, I know you walked in, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, in front of all you people, boy, that would really make me nervous, because what if it doesn't happen? They don't think that way. And, and look at the details here. Let's, let's recreate the scene. Where were Peter and John going? To the temple. Had they been to the temple before? Probably more times than they could count, right? Okay, how often was this guy at the temple gate? Every day. You find over in chapter 4 later on that he's over 40 years old. This man was probably at the temple for decades at the gate. And if they were there so many times, they had walked by this man many, many times. It's probably safe to say that Jesus himself walked by this man. And yet on this day, here he still laid lame. Now, if I'm Peter or John, I'm going to second guess this all over the place. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Can I do this? I mean, is this, is this something that's going to happen now? And I'm going to be struggling with this if we put ourselves back in the reality of the situation. But there's no hesitation. They sense, they know that this man's healing is at hand. And with people in sight, in earshot, I'm sure, Peter proclaims your healing is now. Get up and walk. And he picks him up, and it's done. It's done. This confidence that they have is incredible. It blows me away. And what I think, as I was preparing for this, while it blows me away, I think the early church thought this was normal. Wow. This was probably normal to them. So don't think that this is some lofty, unattainable fantasy goal for our Christianity. This is normal for them. Yes, the apostles had a special anointing. I get that. But they weren't the only ones playing this game. And so this confidence they have was incredible. Let's break this confidence down a little bit. I want to make three observations about their confidence. First, their confidence was based on the person and the work of Christ. As is ours, as ours should be. Some of them had seen the resurrected Christ, and it completely rocked their world. It completely flipped it upside down, or maybe right side up. A lot of them maybe didn't see the resurrected Christ. And the message that they took into their lives, it still rocked their world. This wasn't some fantasy or game that they were playing. This was real. And it changed them completely. It was way bigger than themselves. They knew 
Christ and they trusted him. Those are two very important words when we talk about confidence. If you're confident in something, you know it and you trust it. Paul wrote to his understudy Timothy, he said, I know who I have believed and I am convinced that he is able. He knew him and he trusted him. Know and trust, two very important words when it comes to the person and the work of Christ. Second observation for their confidence. You've heard of the the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, right? I don't know anything about it. All I know is the name. So I got another one. Holy Spirit, Game Changer. Now, I just trademarked that in my mind, so nobody else can take that. Holy Spirit, Game Changer. When the church was, when the disciples were there, when Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven, he, Jesus tells them that they are going to take his gospel message to the ends of the earth. But he tells them to wait in the city and do not leave until the Holy Spirit comes. He said, church, don't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Boy, do we need that message today. How much do we try to do without the Holy Spirit? And he said, don't do anything without the Holy Spirit. They were to wait for him. We've got to get to know him. We need to listen for his voice. We need to recognize his voice when he talks. He will give us words to say. Luke, the same guy that that wrote Acts, wrote the Gospel of Luke. He records two separate times where Christ says, don't even think ahead of time of what you're going to say if you're questioned. He says, I will teach you the words to say in that very hour. He says, I will give you a mouth and I will give you wisdom. And you will have the words to say. So we are to fully rely on the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit fell on those 120 believers, the church erupts. And we need that today. We need it. I love the, uh, the phrase, Peter coins this phrase, we see it in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he's talking about those who wrote scripture or, or um, who prophesy. And he says they are carried along by the Spirit. I picture a, a mom or dad carrying a little kid. And, and that little child can point and talk and laugh and do whatever they want to do, but that parent is the one who's going to decide where they're going. And the Holy Spirit can carry us along, can invite us to take steps in life, and we got to listen. And we can be carried along by the Spirit every day, and that's where we got to live. I'll tell you a story. I haven't told many people this story at all. Um, But the the story is, two summers ago, it was a hot, hot day. I was getting ready for work in the morning. I was the only one up. And uh, generally, almost nearly every day, I take my lunch to work. So I was starting to make my lunch. I'm a simple guy, sandwich and a couple other things. I started to make my sandwich, and I just felt this wave of nausea come over me just real quick. I thought, well, that's weird. So just set it down, went and got my other stuff, a yogurt and some other things. Felt fine. 
Go back to the sandwich. I just feel this, this small wave of nausea again. I'm, I just step back. Because there's been times when I felt God has prompted me to just leave a lunch at home and just fast and pray that day. So I was trying to figure out if that was it. So I was standing in my kitchen, and, and I look over at my, my yogurt and other things over here, and I feel fine. And I look over at the sandwich, and I just feel this nausea. I thought, I don't get it. So I, I just I prayed real quick, and I felt like I could take that stuff. I couldn't take the sandwich. I couldn't take my main course. I'm going to be honest with you, I was a little bit upset. Because I don't do well with a half lunch. Okay, I get cranky. But that's what I felt like was going on. And so I thought, okay. If it was, don't take anything and fast and pray, I would get that. But this was, bring half a lunch. I don't get it. But I'm going to do it. So I bring it. At lunchtime, I decide I'm going to go take a walk. I, I work over in Barberton, two blocks from Lake Anna. Nice, pretty walk. So I was going to go walk around Lake Anna. So as I'm getting ready to go, I had my wallet in my bag. I grabbed my wallet because uh, I just felt like I should bring it, and I thought, no, I don't need this. I put it back in the bag. And I felt like, no, grab the wallet, dummy. So when I hear dummy, I know it's talking to me. <laughs> so I grabbed the wallet again, put it in my pocket. Fine. I'm walking the two blocks over to Lake Anna. And as I get there, I notice something I have, I've never noticed before. But there's a hot dog cart at the edge of Lake Anna. And, uh, I mean, this is weird for a hot dog cart, but it's like the hallelujah chorus. Ooh, right? <laughs> there's my main course. And there's a lady there serving hot dogs. And it was like God said, you got to talk to her. So there were a few people there buying hot dogs, and I thought, I'm not doing it now. So I'm going to walk around Lake Anna and pray, because I don't know what to say. This is the time when I wish Lake Anna was a lot bigger, because... <laughs> You can only get around in like 10 minutes, so I'm praying the whole way. God, what do I say to this lady? I have no idea. I get all the way around. I still don't know what to say. So I get back. I give her the 2 or $3 for a hot dog, and uh, I'm just standing there next to the cart eating my hot dog. There's a couple other people buying hot dogs, so I'm just, I'm just waiting. I still don't know what to say. So the other people leave, and I'm still just standing there. I must have looked like the biggest creep ever. <laughs> Just standing there. So uh, I, there's a sign there that said, Margo's Hot Dogs. I don't know what else to say. I said, are you Margo? She said, yep. I said, well, Margo, I usually bring my lunch to work, but God told me not to today, and I think it was so I could meet you. And her face just went down, and she started sobbing. Just sobbing. And through her tears, she, she started to say how she's been praying for God to break through in her life. And she's, she needs her business to take off because she's got to take care of her mother. And I said, wait, Margo, I said, are you a believer? And she said, oh, I've been washed in the blood. Amen. But I, so I then started just to encourage her that God saw her and she was his daughter and he would care for her. And so I offered to pray for her right there on the sidewalk of Barberton. She said yes, so we both bowed our heads. I mean, she could have been robbed blind. We probably would have had no idea because we were just bowed our heads praying. I'm just praying for her. I probably pray less than a minute, honestly. And I just took a, a brief pause to, to catch my breath and collect thoughts. And 
All of a sudden, she just leaps at me and starts hugging me. And I'm thinking, I'm in this far. I just hugged her back <laughs> on the sidewalk of Barberton. I don't know her from anybody. And God spoke to her and touched her in that moment. And I just told her, hey, my wife and I will be praying for you. And we did. And I can look back at that and see so many times when I could have decided something different against what that, just that urge, that prompting was leading me to do. I could have brought my sandwich. I could have stayed in at lunch. I could have not bought the hot dog. I could have left my wallet back at, in the office. I could have decided to not say anything. I don't have a lot of stories like that. I wish I did. But that, that is a good picture, I think, of being carried along by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will invite you to take these small steps sometimes, sometimes big steps, but oftentimes it's very small. And you may not even see the outcome of it. You may not even understand what's going on because we see such a small sliver of what's happening in life. But are you allowing him to carry you or are you fighting back? It leads me to the third observation of confidence. Our confidence is because we should be obedience-based and not results-based. If you look at some of the negative results and reactions from people in the New Testament to the apostles, to the church, the negative responses, beatings, jail, death, losing your home, did not affect their confidence. So we, in no way, own the results. Listen, look over in Acts chapter 4, um, right after Peter and John get released, they go back to all their friends, and all their friends, and then they all start praying in verse, well, it kind of starts in 23. We're, look in verse 27, this prayer. Chapter 4, 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand, listen, did you hear that? While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They recognized that this was all on him. They were just along for the ride. And so God is responsible for everything. Please hear me on this. It is ours to obey. God owns the results. It is not for us to own any of the results. That's all God's. We don't get to define the success of anything that we do as long as it's done in step with the Holy Spirit. God gets to define that in him alone. So what, what might look like a failure from our standpoint is a success if it's done in step with the Holy Spirit because all we are called to do is obey and follow. That's it. So let's look inward now. How is our confidence taken in light of these three observations? If we struggle with it, then we've made a bad trade. 
where we should be obedience-minded, we're now stressed out, and we're worried about how it's going to work out, what's going to happen, what is somebody going to think about me? Where we should be carried along by the Spirit, we operate under our own intuition, our own power, our own wisdom, instead of being carried along by Him. What we think is best. Where we should rest assured on the person and the work of Christ, we question His trustworthiness. Can He care for me? Will He? Does He care? And all that manifests itself in one thing, one dirty four-letter word, fear. If we are struggling with a lack of confidence, we've traded our confidence for fear. For example, when you sat in your chair today, this is very simplistic, but nobody did the old uh, kind of push on it a little bit and you know, have one of your kids sit on it first, make sure it doesn't fall or... No, if you're confident in the chair you're about to sit in, you just sit. But if you're not confident, you do all those checks. And why? Why is that? You don't want to hit the ground. You don't want to get hurt. You don't want to be embarrassed. That fear of all those things is a motivator. If you come in and that chair looks really wobbly, well, there's a, I mean, that fear is understandable, right? But sometimes we can let our fear outweigh our confidence in God. We have fear of the awkward conversation, fear of rejection, maybe losing a friend, maybe being wrong, taking a risk, saying the wrong thing, maybe being made fun of, or you pray for healing for someone and it doesn't happen. That's fear. Sometimes we can overthink what the possible outcomes are, and we'll be prompted to speak to someone or do something, and, and we, we hesitate, we pause indefinitely because we've got to run all the options through our head. Remember, the outcome is not ours. It is just ours to obey. The Acts Church was intrusive with the gospel. They offended people. They annoyed people. You can see that at the beginning of chapter 4. It says they were arrested because others were greatly annoyed. That's how they were. But there was a reason. Their confidence outweighed their fear. They saw it as a matter of life and death for those people around them. Do you? They were, they were willing to err on the side of awkward and annoying and maybe being embarrassed or maybe uh, getting a, a criminal record. They erred on that side instead of silence and safety. So how about you? Does your fear outweigh your confidence? 
When we're confident in God, we follow the Holy Spirit's voice and leading. But when we're not, we follow fear's voice and fear's leading. Fear speaks and we listen. Fear leads and we follow. Fear tells you you've got to watch out for yourself because God won't or can't. Fear tells you you're going to mess it up. I heard that one for years. You're going to mess it up, Mike. Fear tells you not to speak up, stand out, or take a risk because it's not worth it. If this all is ringing a bell in you, that's fear's voice, not God's voice. And fear will lie to you until you tell it to stop. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Daddy. It says that we can fall back into fear. That's our default. And that's what we need to recognize as not from God. That if we've got fear in our lives, we've fallen back. We did not receive fear. God gave us everything we need to be confident in him. Everything. And so, which one outweighs the other? Does your confidence outweigh your fear, or does your fear outweigh your confidence? Because if we let it, fear will warp our view of what is good. And then the only thing left that's good with fear is self-preservation, and we're just watching out for ourselves instead of being confident in advancing God's kingdom. So, are you living in confidence or are you living in fear? That's the question. Is fear speaking louder than the Holy Spirit? Do you feel yourself saying no a lot to the Holy Spirit, to things that are push you out of your comfort zone? because of a fear. Now, we've got to grow in our ability, and we will grow in our ability to hear the Holy Spirit and to respond to him. But I think today, the response is, is just this, to recognize fear and to tell it to leave. So we're going to finish with this. If you could bow your head and close your eyes, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what fear or fears are in your life. Ask him. He will show you. And when you have that fear in your mind, I want you to pray this prayer, if you're willing. God, I see the fear. I see the fear of and then fill in the blank. What is it? God, I confess that fear as sin. It is not of you. God, I know you've already forgiven me. And so right now, I receive your forgiveness. I don't want to live listening to fear anymore. I want to be confident 
in you. God, you see every person, every heart that desires that so much. And Lord, I pray a blessing of your Holy Spirit to be strong on those people right now. And God, I pray that you would give them a word or a picture or a song lyric or something, God, right now that is meaningful to them. Holy Spirit, would you do it? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill them with you, with trust, with knowledge of God, and that you would lead them into an adventure with you. Amen.